too much. I have been uh, contemplating a theologically perplexing issue to some extent, and that is that, uh, of course, it's very traumatic when Krishna leaves Vrindavan to go to Mathura and kill Kamsa in the Prakat Leela. Um, but it's said, of course, that Krishna never leaves Vrindavan and it's his Mathura expansions by his uh, uh, Prabhava Prakash that goes to Mathura. Um, but uh, his friends go with him. <laughs> and as he enters into Mathura, of course, he's seen by all the devotees in Mathura who heard about his exploits in Vrindavan and they have a more regal uh, and uh, majestic uh, perspective of him. Um, so there's, you know, Maturash Krishna. But meanwhile, his friends are with him <laughs> and they're all in Vrindavan Bhav. So the, the issue is, you know, is Krishna in his half and half or you know, how is he being perceived and experienced by the coward boys and how is he while he's obviously being experienced differently by the inhabitants of Vrindavan and if he's experienced in the Vrindavan perspective as the, the coward boys then it would seem he went outside of Vrindavan a little bit a little bit not too far so I've been thinking about that it's an interesting subject um I haven't found any, any any kind of commentaries on it, but the moment I would think of it, um, um, such that well, you know, the different bobs are drawing differently upon him, and um, I guess while he remains in Vrindavan, he's also elsewhere at the same time. But that uh, that. Vrindavan, an original sense of himself, is covered by the Bhavas of Dwarka, for example, or Mathura. But they come out every now and then, like in Dwarka. He dreams about the inhabitants of Vrindavan and calls out to them. That's not Dwarkesh Krishna that's doing that. That's Vrindavan Krishna that's doing that. So he seems to be in both places at the same time. Invisibly in Vrindavan and also invisibly in Mathura and, and Dwarka where his original personality is covered by the bob of the inhabitants. Anyway, I mean, <laughs> that's what I'm preoccupied with for the last couple of days. Otherwise, everything's nice here at uh, Aldaria. And let's take the questions. Okay, the first question is from Krishna Kanaya. Hare Krishna. Um so I have a question about uh, the Bhagavad Gita. When I get to uh, tell people about uh, Bhagavad Gita, it's always curious that it's, you know, it's a setting on the battlefield. Um, and so this conversation hasn't happened yet, but I just want to be prepared uh, when it comes. And also for myself, I want to know how to think about this. So maybe it's a bit weird, the question. Um, so when I talk about the Gita and I say, okay, it's actually some kind of like holy war. Um, I know also that this term holy war is like negatively associated with like, you know, jihadis and just all these atrocities that are, um, you know, committed in the name of God and, you know, all of this. Um, so the thing is that these like suicide bombers, uh, they, 
you know, they, they, they say like, oh yeah, God told me, you know, to kill like all the, uh, uh, how do, like the people who don't believe, right? Um, so my question is that since actually Kurukshetra really also happened on this planet and Krishna really did tell Arjuna to, yes, just ki like kill, um, you know, the core of us. Um, is it actually possible for Krishna to tell other people in this world to kill others? And is it, I know it's like a weird question because, of course, I don't know about the relationship um, of other people that they have with Krishna. But, um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of like uh, of these people who say like, oh, yeah, God told me to kill these people. And I'm like, in an interreligious setting, what could I like respond <laughs> if anything at all? I don't know if that does it make kind of sense to you. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think that um, it requires a bit of a, you know, theological uh, discussion um, to bring the point truly home uh, in that uh, Krishna is speaking with Arjun. Arjun is his unalloyed devotee. He's in Sakyarasa. Uh, he's in the Prakat Leela. Now, how do you explain that to all, all the people? I don't know, but just for the moment anyway. Um, that is quite a different scene than somebody in everyday life says, God told me to kill, you know, um, somebody else or start a war or something like that. Um, the person, Arjun, you have to look at his character, how he's presented in the Gita, what was his um, um, Well, if you look at his character, if you look up to the end of the sixth chapter, you, you should read my purport at the end of the last verse of the sixth chapter. All it means to be a devotee there, all he's gone through, you know, now we're going into the second part of the Gita, the theology. Um, uh, so he's quite an extraordinary person, just from an ordinary point of view, from a religious point of view, and from a, from a you know, well, theological point of view, he's a parshada, he's, you know, he's an unalloyed devotee. Um, so that's very different, first of all. And I guess you could put that in, in a general way. What's being described in the Gita is an intimate relationship between Bhagavan and his friend, paternal love, where there's no material desire in the heart of Arjuna. So if we don't have, if we have material desire, then, um, then um, the likelihood that God's going to be interacting directly with us is, you know, It's questionable because our desires aren't in relation to him. Hmm? So rather his agency material nature is, is, is going to respond and speak to us and so forth. So, you know, that's just one point. There's a difference between Arjun and ordinary people. Um, somehow you would have to make that point, I think. And secondly, um, if you look at the Bhagavad Gita, uh, like, as a history, for example, in, the, in an actual batter, battle, um, then you have to uh, bring up the fact that the, the, the battle in the Gita is taking place at a certain part. Um, it, the Bhagavad Gita is, 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 is a part of the Mahabharata, and all that leads up to the battle hmm, is important. And what we find there is Krishna himself, Arjuna, the Pandavas, all on the side of Krishna, tried to negotiate They exhausted all possible diplomatic um, uh, measures to uh, uh, 
uh, avoid uh, such a catastrophic uh, event. And even after all of that, it was apparent that the opposition Corvus, led by Duryodhan, would not listen to reason, and they wanted the war. They pushed the war. So Krishna is not pushing the war, just saying these people are bad; you should kill them. But uh, he he's trying to avoid it at all costs. Hmm? And at the, and in the end, well, he sees that it's inevitable, and you know there is a place uh, for that in the world. We're, we're not like the Jains. With regard to ahimsa, we accept ahimsa. We're not wearing masks everywhere to avoid breathing in insects. It's, it, our central focus is kirtan, not ahimsa. Ahimsa is part of it, but it's pragmatic in our sense of um, ahimsa. Um, we're, 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 not, we're living in a world where there's kind of a war going on at all times on, on some level, right? So anyway, there was a huge diplomatic effort on the part of Krishna to avoid the war. And when it was unavoidable, given the nature of the opposition to the Pandavas, well, he had to acquiesce and say, then, well, there's a place now for, for uh, righteously defending what's actually um, correct. Uh, so I think pacifism is, is faulty. Uh, compassion as a worldview uh, is said to be faulty also. There's, compassion is important, but as a worldview, uh, in, in, at least um, in an overt sense, it's, not, it's, it's, it's impractical. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is there may be different ways to show compassion. Mm-hmm. It said, you know, you try to reason with someone, if you can't reason with them, well, then they have a, well, there's a statement, saying, saying, I guess it's in Latin, argumentum ad, ad rotulum, I think it is. You, know, then you, you, you have to raise the rod of chastisement. Someone won't listen to reason. So there's a, there's, you know, there's a place for that. Um, that's um, our perspective, to, to defend the devotees, to defend our guru, to, def- to speak up on behalf of Krishna, if Krishna is offended, if Krishna's devotees, if, if our guru is offended, we could become angry like Hanuman. He doesn't look very compassionate. He doesn't look very, um, you know, nonviolent. Uh, he set Blanc on fire with his tail, you know, and wreaked havoc and, and so forth. All in, in a rage of passion, of um, defense of, of Ram against the atrocities of, of Ravana. Um, which, of course, brings to mind the fact that the Ganmark is all about um, impartiality and Bhakti is all about partiality. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and, and that would be the general, you know, general perspective. Gyan, really, as it's understood in Vedanta, most people will identify with that. Compassion, everybody's uh, equal, uh, you know, and this equanimity is is this is the basis of spiritual life. But then there is the positive side of attraction, affection for Krishna. Like we say, we don't advance in bhakti by detachment. That's not the an anga of bhakti. It's a result of bhakti, and indeed, we advance by sangha by attachment. 
to Krishna. So these are peculiar ideas for most people because they transcend the basic sensibilities of what spiritual life really is about. Mm-hmm. And so to take take another, them another step, well, it, it is it is uh, uh, not the easiest thing to do. But um, um, you know, having said that, I think that uh, Krishna is killing demons in the Bhagavatam. He's purging Arjuna to fight and defeat the Pandavas and so forth. But the result will be good for the Pandavas. Hmm. So it is also a form of his uh, compassion properly uh, expressed. And it's, it's, it's humility also. The humility of, of um, it means to, uh, to, to, to humility before God, to serve God's purpose, our Guru's purpose. So to stand up on behalf of Krishna or our guru or the Vaishnavas, like Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur did, and you know, criticized his own sect of Gaudiya Vaishnavism so strongly and, and whatnot. He was questioned, you know, uh, he brought the question, may, look, may not look like I'm humble here, you know, but um, this is what humility means, not humility in an abstract sense, but humble before my gurus, my, my, my God, and that may. Um, means that I'm I'm always going to do their bidding, and if someone misrepresents them, then I you know I have something to say. So um, you know, all this comes into play, and um, and, and 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 beyond that, of course, um, in, in such circles in which you're moving, it it may be best not to play up the historical aspect of it and play up the, the metaphorical aspect of it, which is very present there. And that is that the, the battlefield is, um, the battle is the, is, is the ego battle. And Arjun is being taught to slay his ego. Uh, and that's why in the second chapter, Krishna brings before him Dronacharya and, 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 and Bhishma Dev, his, his t- art teacher in the military arts, his guru, and um, his grandfather raised him like a father. And he told him, you know, these are the people that you have to slay. And your identity, the teaching as, as Arjun, is tied to your attachment to them. And so while it's apparent, well, it appears that you're slaying them, you're slaying your ego that arises out of identifying with this one as my, as my grandfather and, and so on and so forth. And so... It's a it's a battlefield in which every jiva is uh, as a sadaka is involved with. They have to slay their attachments, hmm? and that's really what the teaching is is about. It's it's not meant to be taken like somebody like in American politics, Steve Bannon, like the Bhagavad Gita. He's just like a total right wing, you know, um, wants a revolution kind of guy in the United States for Trumpian you know perspectives and so forth. And he cited the Bhagavad Gita. So some of the boys go, oh, just see, Steve Bannon, he likes the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> you know, well, no, he doesn't understand the Bhagavad Gita at all. Um, uh, so uh, it may be best to avoid in those circles, looking at it from uh, the, the, the battlefield itself, from a literal point of view, historical point of view, so that I look at it from a, a, an inner, you know, teaching that, 
is 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 Krishna's providing, speaking to all of us. There's a battle of life, and the battle is with our attachments hmm? that distance us from our real self and our prospect to serve our our, our nature of service of God, and um, which is where our um, fulfillment in life really lies. And so, spiritual practice is the battle. And the identity that rises out of our attachments that has to be slain if our real identity is to come out. I mean, that that's a very easy sell, if you will. So aside from what I said earlier, I would I would probably go forward with that kind of metaphorical perspective. And if someone would come back and press on it, then I would give the other answers and, and say, well, you know, this is this is a, a, a different setting than your average guy wakes up and decides to kill his family because God told him to, you know. Right? Yeah. Does that help? Oh, wow. Yes. Thank you so much. Hare Krishna. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Another question? Okay. The next question is from Jai Sri Vrinda Devi Dasi from North Carolina. She says, I feel like it's not super deep, but why does Vishnu, I mean, the question is not super deep, but why does Vishnu only appear to Dhruva Maharaj once? I'm a bit disheartened with how difficult it is, even for pure devotees, to see the Lord. Maybe I don't enjoy hard work, exclamation mark. Mm -hmm. Well, um, we see a similar instance in the uh, life of Narada as he himself uh, describes it um, or gives an overview of it to um, Vyas. Is it Vyas he's speaking? Okay. Um, Nard, to someone, I forget, in the Bhagavatam, in the fifth chapter of the first canto, Nard tells his story. Hmm? Nard Muni. Um, and um, he, he, of course, his mother dies, he, he, he's living at home, and his mother hosts some sadhus who speak during the rainy season. He he learns things from them. They move on after the rainy season, and his wife, mother dies from a snake bite. And so he burns the whole house down. That's the funeral pyre, and takes to heart the teachings of the sadhus that nothing in this world is permanent, and so on and so forth. And thus, he becomes a wandering mendicant. He takes residence in the forest and following the Bhakti Vedantas as Prabhupada described in Sage's instructions that he received during the rainy season at home, he reaches a high stage in in Bhakti where he gets the darshan of Krishna and then Krishna disappears. And Krishna tells him at that point, I disappeared. I, 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 I appeared to show you that I'm here, <laughs> that I, I'm real. I'm not just an imagination. And I've disappeared to intensify your bhajan because when you have something very valuable, you know how valuable it is when you lose it. You might have it and it's valuable, but not think about it all the time. But if you lose it, oh gosh, you can't stop thinking about it, right? And so that intensifies the bhajan Hmm? That separation makes the heart grow fonder, and it enabled, um, it, it gave Nara the, the, the impetus, the strength, the power to go the distance in his sadhana to, per, to perfect himself, to live eternally in the in the association of Krishna. 
so Krishna may appear um, um, briefly in the life of Dhruva. He appeared, but it, that is a similar thing happened. Dhruva went the distance from there, and he he attained his uh, his, his his perfection. So I think that it's more to be understood um, as a, a, a blessing of Krishna to appear in the life of a sadhaka rather than, um, you know, a, um, a problem that he doesn't appear enough or whatnot. I mean, we know it's rare to attain preem. We know that we'll attain preem, though, because we've adopted the means. It's rare because only by these means can preem be attained. Other things can be attained spiritually and spiritual attainments by other methods. But if you want preem, then this is the method, Braj Prem, this is the method as uh, articulated by our Goswamis and demonstrated in the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Um, so you'll get it, but uh, it's not a cheap thing. So, yes, you should not be, you should not be afraid of hard work. <laughs> Sadhana is a little hard uh, at, at times, but it depends how we situate ourselves. You know, If we situate ourselves in a way that's favorable for bhakti, by association, where we live, what kind of work we do, and everything becomes centered around our sadhana, then then when we see that's what I am, I'm a sadhaka, let me, this is what my life's about, let me organize my life accordingly. Like, as we would, I'm a mother, let me organize my life accordingly. I'm a student, let me organize my life accordingly. I'm, you know, work in this firm, you know, let me organize my life accordingly. So you, you have to do it around your sadhana. And then when you've done that and, and, and taken the steps to create um, a favorable environment, then it's not so hard to do uh, sadhana bhakti. The environment is conducive and uh, it serves as a favorable wind, if you will. To be a sadhaka itself is a wonderful um, thing, very virtuous and rewarding lifestyle. Um, and it will culminate in being a siddha. We spend all times in the course of our sadhaka life, our life of spiritual practice. Krishna shows himself here, there. We get a shadow, a bhava, a chai, a bas, shadow of bhava, and, and we, our hairs stand on end, we weep uncontrollably. Uh, and then it, you know, the next day it's, it's, it, the tears have evaporated. Well, those experiences, they are a blessing, a taste of what's to come. And they probably serve as greater impetus than anything else for our practice. So if just Krishna should appear as he does in the life of Dhruva, how much that must have served as a positive impetus for what he was doing for his practice. Um, we, we, we can't we can't imagine um, you know you, we may be convinced by good association examples of others by philosophy reasoning that this is the right course and so forth but if we get some experience direct experience that that is the ultimate praman or evidence hmm? um, um Yet, Prachakshavagamam Dhamam Susukam Kartamabhayam, Krishna says in the Gita, hmm? that is the ultimate praman, right? 
directly perceiving. So um, I wouldn't look at that as a negative <laughs> that Krishna appeared once in the life of, uh, of Dhruva. If he would appear once in your life to you, I don't think you would think it was a negative either. That he, he hasn't yet, well, I wouldn't uh, fault Krishna for that, but I'd fault myself for not, for, for admittedly, as you have said, of being a little shy of working hard. And you have to work hard for this. But work hard to create a favorable, a favorable environment for yourself and by identifying yourself, as I say, as a sadhaka first and foremost. That's what I am. I'm a servant of my guru and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And this is my ideal to attain Braj Bhakti. Let me organize my life around that and not care for whatever else may come our way. And what 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 may, what what that may cost us, may cost us relationships with friends, relatives, possibly. We may have to have less income, uh, live in a simpler life and so forth, but we may find that's 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 nice. Hmm? Um, go to Mayapur, move to Mayapur. Prabhupada wanted, I was thinking, I've been thinking about this lately, Prabhupada wanted to create a whole city in Mayapur, right? Where all of the devotees could come, people from all over the world would come and live in Mayapur and make their lives simple for for practicing Krishna consciousness. And and he done he's done that. I mean, uh, I'm not a member of ISKCON, I can't go and live there, but the what Prabhupada has done there has overflowed throughout, you know, Mayapur, outside of the walls there of of, of ISKCON. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be allowed to come in and give a class. I'm sure I could walk in there. Uh, any of my disciples could walk in. You don't need to show a card at the door that you're a member of ISKCON. But aside from the walls of the property, if you will, of ISKCON itself, the whole of Mayapur has been populated with devotees from around the world. Hmm? So I'm thinking about what a, what a, what a great place to live. Hmm? And that's what Prabhupada wanted. He, so he's created the facility even for... Uh, fools like myself, you know, who are, <laughs> who have been uh, excommunicated from ISKCON. I can live in Mayapur. Uh, it's a very attractive um, idea. I mean, the, the, all your economic problems would be solved. You know, a few hundred dollars a month, you would live, you know, very easily, very easy to grow. You can even grow grains there. Even in Madhavan, we can't, well, we can't grow grains. We grow rice there and beans. But, but there, you know, it's the rice fields. Very beautiful. Uh, so uh, anyway, um, yeah, move to Mayapur. Well, how can I do that? Well, it might be easier than you think. It's a radical uh, idea in in a sense, but it's it's quite reasonable if you're a, you're a sadhak. What about my kid? Well, a lot of kids over there too. And there's schools and and uh, you know, I mean, there's plenty of ordinary people, if you will, or non-devotees who decide to join the Peace Corps and move to you know. Africa have kids there and, and uh, they grew up in a different environment and they become special hmm? when when they're when they're when they're growing up because they've had such diverse experiences and so forth um, or uh, Christian missionaries going to other countries and so I just thought I'm just an example I guess I want to say create a favorable environment for yourself and then think Hey, Prabhupada created a favorable environment. It's, it, I can go there. That might be uh, something to consider. So I, I hope that helps, and I hope Krishna appears in your life once. I think you'll think you'll feel it's a very positive experience when he does that, and I'm sure he will. You have my 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 blessings and assurance. Just just stay the course. Keep good association.
Bhagavan Shri Krishna ki jai, Dhruva Maharaj ki jai, Mayapudam ki jai, Srila Prabhupada ki jai. What else? Another question? Hope that helps. If you have any further comments, you're free to um, share them. Was there a follow-up question from Jaya Rinda Devi? Uh, she raised a hand. Oh, I guess not. Okay. So the next question is from Sajan. Andavats Maharaj. You know, I did have one, a particular Hare. question. Hari Hare is the answer. Hari, okay, Hari. If I say Hari Bol, you say Hari. Hari. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so um, I had a particular question, which I would like to ask, but just kind of like something came to me as a kind of like a follow-up to this, this uh what you just so beautifully responded to in terms of seeing Krishna. Was it Srila Prabhupada who said, do not try to see Krishna, but behave in such a way that he would want to see you? Was that Srila Prabhupada who said that? Yes, yes, very nice statement. Right, yeah. don't try to see Krishna, but act in such a way that Krishna will want to see you. Right. <laughs> someone, asked, someone asked me once years ago, have you seen Krishna? I said, I don't know, I wasn't looking. <laughs> maybe he was there but I, I'm looking for how to serve him and of course that's where he is right With that, in that serving ego serving disposition mm, jai. and then Guru Maharaj, Guru Maharaj used to say that if you see Krishna in Bhajan and he asks you to do something you tell him to wait go back and ask your Guru and say this guy he said he was Krishna and this is what he wanted is that you think it was him <laughs> Ah, that's right. I remember that. Yes, that's yes, so service to Guru. That's where we'll find Krishna. Right? Yes, yes, indeed. Um, speaking of Guru Maharaj quotes, um, did he was he the one who said that the repetition of experience does not constitute realization? Say it again. The repetition of experience does not constitute realization. Uh-huh. I'm not sure what he means by experience. And of course, English wasn't his first language. So it would be, I'd have to look at that repetition of experience. Um, it, uh, well, I was curious if you were, if you knew exactly who said that. I, I think I recall that it was Srila Guru Maharaj, but I, I'm not a hundred percent certain about that. Yeah, I, I I don't remember him saying that. I never heard that before, but he may have. And I you know, I'd have to know, you know, what was meant by experience because if you sure. have a of experience of you know deep spiritual experience, it's it is uh, it does culminate or drive one towards uh, you, you, you know realization. Um, Anyway, so hard to answer that without knowing what what the context is. Yeah, um, I think it might have had something to do with like the more rounds that are chanted quantitatively. You know, that does not equal, uh, yeah. or it does not bring about qualitative understanding or realization. I think it had something to do with the the quantity of the ra- chanting rounds or something to that effect. Yeah, that's that's an obvious and good point. But like I say, that's why the word experience maybe it was another word. 
doesn't yeah. quite fit in, but just the repetition of uh, practice unto itself. And that, for example, you know, counting <laughs> is not chanting, you know. Right, you right. Not count, don't count, chant. Um, uh, so not to get it over with, but to meet Krishna, but to serve right. Krishna. Is Krishna, right? Yes. If we're thinking, I got to get it over with. Well, then you know, you better you do some other service and mix it up a little bit so that you're on on point here. I'm trying to please Krishna. Anyway, thank you for your question. Yeah. Um, well, the original question I had before those kind of little follow up things um, was um, I, I read in the in the um, Brahma Vivarta Purana. Uh, that, uh, Srimati Radharani and, uh, her, her brother, Sridham, cursed each other. Um, you, oh, so you're familiar with that? Yeah. Yeah. You have any, I mean, I wasn't, um, that didn't kind of really settle well within me when I read that. I was wondering if you had any kind of anything to say about that. I never read that section. I've heard it cited, uh, and, uh, and, and they, and they took birth as, what is it, the Shalagram? On Earth! On Earth! On Earth as Shalagram and Tulsi or something. I, I, it's connected to that. I forget. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, my only response to that has always been that this is something from the Brahma Bhavarta Purana. Um, our book is the Bhagavatam. We look at everything that's said in other Puranas in relation to the Bhagavatam and accept it or dismiss it. Uh, accordingly. So, um, that story, other things from the Brahma Bhavarta Purana may be cited by our Goswamis, hmm, and so forth. And they, those, those statements of that Purana that are cited are in concert with the Siddhanta given in the Bhagavatam. Hmm. Those stories and statements that are not cited, well, there's a reason for that. Hmm. <laughs> Um, so these Puranas speak in different ways, different persons at different times and circumstances and so forth. And the Bhagavatam is, has its, its particular focus and that's the focus we're interested in. So that's how I always looked at it. I never, I never took, I, I pretty much don't entertain that story. And, and, uh, it, it appears that it wasn't very pleasing to the ears of the Goswamis either. So you're okay on that. <laughs> Thank you, Maharaj. What else? I think Omkar, did you have a question? Uh, well, I just wanted to know if Gurmaraj is still worshipping Giriraj. And, and oh, I I'm sorry. From... Sorry, I mixed that up. I thought it was a, an, another question. Okay, so in that case, the next question comes from the jungles of Madhuban. It's going to be Kishore. Okay. Voice from the jungle. Pranam school, Madge. Good morning. Good morning. Ready, well. Ready. So I've been reflecting a bit on um, the terms Sergrahi and Barabahi, Vaishnav. Um, so my first question is where exactly, because I understood that Bhaktivinod talks about that. So I was wondering where he talks about it. And then in relation to it, I've kind of understood that Sargrahi means essence seeker. Barabahi means someone who gets stuck in kind of traditions or rules um, weighed down with that. 
And one thing I was thinking about was, it seems like the latter is not as common these days, but what one thing that's almost more common is people, um, they often get stuck in kind of modern progressive paradigms um, and almost can't see bhakti unless it fits into that. Um, I, I remember I was on um, certain Facebook groups and stuff, um, like the progressive Vaishnavs group. I often saw a lot of that type of um, comments. And so I was just wondering if you kind of see that being more applied to the idea of Saragrahi, Barabahi, Vaishnav, maybe in our modern day. Okay, thank you for the question. Um, the term Saragrahi um, is one that seems to have been coined by Bhaktivinoda Thakur. He mentions that uh, I think there may even be a, a poem called Saragrahi Vaishnav where it's mentioned, but he, he does bring out the concept in, in his writing, either in Chaitanya Shikshamrita or Jaiva Dharma. And, um, you know, he's speaking about the basic idea that um, there is, in my terminology, a mystical or spiritual experiential orientation and a religious orientation to the tradition. The religious orientation tends to it's meant to take us to an experiential and mystical orientation, but sometimes we get waylaid there and caught up with the details of a particular religious sect, um, its markings, its its practices, and so forth. And and then other religious sect has different ones, and we become at odds with them, whereas the mystics in the two different sects are not at odds on the same level. They may have disagreements about the nature of transcendence, but they're they're not, uh, um, uh, f- uh, you know, fighting with one another and so forth. So, um, in the time of Bhakti Vinod, it's 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 a very interesting. Uh, well, it's interesting to note that it, um, um, if you take um, look at Gaudiya Vaishnavism, you will see that at a certain point, uh, the Goswamis. Um, for example, in the, in the Parshads of Mahaprabhu, Nityananda Prabhu, Advaita, and so forth, that, that, that their lineages were handed over largely to householder uh, Brahmin uh, Vaishnavas. Within the Varnashram, the Brahmins do the work of, of you know, the religious work, uh, uh, worshipping the deities, um, um, uh, serving as spiritual advisors, gurus, uh, and so forth, right, within Varnashram. So that was the whole, you know, Varnashram setting. And so, uh, typically, excuse me, typically the Brahmin, uh, who, uh, became followers of the Goswamis became the likely, uh, candidates to be the gurus of those lineages. And um, there you find the possibility of a breakdown in that the Goswamis themselves, Nityananda Prabhu, Advaita, Gadadhar, 
Srivas and so forth. These are super extraordinary eternal associates, incarnations, you know, uh, of God uh, and so forth. And the highest kind of guru that you could possibly have in a sense. So, you know, it has to come down a little bit from there to go, to go forward if you're drawing on people from this world, which, which they were. And so we see that over time, it's not uncommon that the spiritual power or strength of the lineage becomes um, weakened. That's understandable. Um, um, Krishna mentions it in the Gita that over the course of time, there may be a need to revitalize the Guru Parampara, which I institute. So I give new energy to it. So we have that um, precedent there in the Gita. So we see that in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission. But what's happening when you go from the, say, the Goswamis to the Goswami families? Now, we sometimes may criticize the Jati Gosai, which means the family Goswamis, because Goswami, you know, is the title that pertains to someone who's not a family person in the ultimate sense, uh, detached, uh, sense controlled, uh, and the Rupa and Sanatana, they weren't, you know, married people with families and so forth. Um, but it's also true that, that one doesn't have to be a renunciant. One could be a family person and be a great mystic. And most, if not well, many, if not most of Mahaprabhu's associates were also family people. So that's there. Um, but just to attach yourself, with, you know, to change your name to go, family name to Goswami doesn't mean you become a Goswami. Now, there's another way to look at that, which is kind of charming in that they were followers of the Goswamis. And so they changed their family name to Goswami, hmm. Rupa Goswami. So it's not the Goswami, so Jiva Goswami. So we're the Goswami families coming from Jiva Goswami or Gopalbhata Goswami. That has some charm to it. But these persons, um, these Brahman Jati Gosais, they very much formed a system. They systematized, they managed, they organized um, in ways that mystics, like the Goswamis, for example, well, you know, Sanatana Goswami, Gopapata, they wrote Hari Bhakti Belas, it gives you know, some detail. But other than that, the books are not about all kinds of details. Um, uh, uh, with regard to uh, religious life procedures, how to marry, how to have uh, beget children, how to get initiated, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, so these Goswamis, they, they came to kind of fill in these uh, second level, if you will, fill in, give some form, further form and shape to what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was about, what the Goswamis were writing about, and so forth. So they systematized things, and and um, and and then over time, by the time of Bhakti Vinod, you find well, if you didn't have the Diksha Patra, or you know, like like take Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswatak, well, he was initiated by Gorakshordas Babaji. Hmm? So those kind of persons were rare. Whereas the Goswamis uh, families, there were many of them, and they were the main initiators. But to find a Gorkashore or Jagannath Das Babaji, you know, that's another thing, right? Hmm? Um, and they were above and beyond 
whatever systems were created by the Goswamis, the Goswami families, and so which weren't bad, they were good, but they were beyond that. So sometimes people criticize Bhakti Siddhanta after his departure, of course, and say, um, you know, well, you know, he didn't get a Dikshapata. Where's his letter, you know, from Gorkhishardas Babaji that he was initiated? You know, what, what tea lock does he wear? Hmm? Um, um, because each party bar, you know, has this particular tea lock and there was a system for giving the tea lock and giving the letter and other, other details, right? So you hear these arguments sometimes against Bhakti Siddhanta and they're all Barabhaki arguments. Hmm? Hmm? If you want to complain about Bhakti Siddhanta, complain to Bhakti Gorkashore. He's the one who gave him initiation. He's the one, you know, that, uh, that, that, in whose presence, along with Bhakti Vinod, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsutaku, with their blessings, was initiating. He initiated his first disciples in their presence with their blessings. So, you know, Gorkashore was a rather unorthodox person. Wouldn't surprise me if he wasn't, didn't have T-lock on or had it on backwards, you know. <laughs> I mean, he was a very unorthodox uh, fellow. So for him to have to conform to such details, you know, this is a, this is a, been a, a, a form over substance argument that doesn't go too far. Hmm? So Bhakti Nod was experiencing a lot of this, right? Um, um, and uh, claims to spirituality based on details and, um, and, 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 and so forth. And so, you know, he came up with this term, Saragrahi Vaishnav. And you, you say that, you know, these things don't seem so, uh, relevant, but actually they have, they, they're still relevant today. You still hear these arguments about, um, uh, Godiamat or Iskon. Where's their, what kind of tea lock they're wearing? How do, what Bhakti Siddhanta, we, he wasn't initiated because these are the reasons and the reasons are just ridiculous, you know. Um, so the, the, they're, they're still, a, they're still about in many devotees, uh, minds. And, and I find it too. I mean, I have, experience of different moths and different missions and uh, uh, you can be criticized in one mission for having the wrong color bead bag you know as if you did it wrong and this is a problem you're not going to go back to god unless you get the right color bead bag or the right color even one one godia moth and the right color saffron had to be the color of a tongue cow's tongue and otherwise i guess it wasn't bona fide so these 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 things do continue to show up, um, and at the same time, you know these 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 type of details they need not be dismissed, and they're valuable if they're properly understood. That in our tradition, our Guru Maharaj has to do, do it like this. There may be other ways to do it because it's a detail, but we do it like this because he's given or she's given this detail, and that's good for us, and that that's where how Krishna consciousness comes to us. In our party bar, so we, we go with that. Hmm? Um, so, um, even though we may know the relativity of it, we see that it, it, its purpose and how it serves us and, and so on. But, you know, not to get that the basic idea, not that, that the detail be misconstrued for the principle. Hmm? Um, that's basically what he's talking about as Saragrahi Vaishnava. Now, with regard to your uh, question about the modern world, we, we you, you, you know, we see in our time such access to, um, you know, everything, for example, through the internet, that people are much more politically um, plugged in than they ever were. Um, and um, 
and and um, and I want to say not politically only, but well, well, you know, socially there's a well, there's a network, right? And so um, all types of perspectives are out there and speaking and speaking loudly. And the Gaudi Vaishnavism doesn't doesn't necessarily have the microphone. In my times, well, Prabhupada had the microphone for us. And I didn't even know who was president sometimes of the United States. So, you know, you, you, you can't avoid that. You know who won the Super Bowl, you know, if you're not even trying, you know, practically. You just turn on the Internet and there's some, you know, news about what, you know, which is an insignificant event in, in, in one sense. Um, so uh, what to speak of who's the president and it didn't matter. And, and you know, people will tell you it doesn't matter. Ah, Democrat, ball, you know, in the United States, or, well, it's all the same, you know. And there's some truth to that, and, and there, there's some problems with that too. So anyway, people are being um, bombarded with all types of social perspectives. You mentioned, you know, Gaudiya Vaishnav progressive. I've seen that site. I don't think it's Gaudiya Vaishnav, and I don't think it's progressive e- either one. From the strict definition of each of those those terms, so uh, uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavs might be appalled by it, and progressives might be as well. Although they, you know, that the persons on there seem to uh, em- embrace what's called progressive social and political perspectives. Um, now, I should mention to you that there are as many people or more Gaudiya Vaishnavas who accept the opposite hmm, and conservative political and social perspectives. Hmm. They don't, maybe they don't have a site, you know, Gaudiya conservatism or something like that, uh, whatever, but they're out there. Uh, there, 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 there's, there's lots of them. So it's just, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I would tie it necessarily to the terms that, um, that you, the term that you, you ask about, um, Saragrahi, um, but I would, uh, um, consider it that just the ingress of worldliness, uh, into their lives that gets the upper hand over um, what it means to be a sadhaka. We have to make our determination. Some will be conservative, some will be progressive, some will be in between, some will be I don't care. Uh, you know, based on our worldview, that has to be the center. And I I find that that both on the conservative side and on the, on the progressive side or the liberal side, there's a considerable increase into many, many sadhakas' lives where that rules over their sadhana to determine something about their practice or about what they think the goal should be, what it means to be a devotee, and so on and so forth, which may be quite different than certain modern sensibilities um, dictate or speak to people about what uh, what it means to be a good, you know, a good person, whatever. So, um, yeah, it's uh, um, uh, we need strong sadhu sangha to keep uh, on course and um, and keep the the uh, uh, goal in mind, which is very clear. And you know, you have some sense that well, you know, the, the, what we're doing and what the goal is, it's, it's been around for quite a long time, and the world's going to change in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Right, just so many ways and so many different perspectives. 
socially, the, 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 you know, it will go backwards, it will go forwards, it will go in a good direction, it will go in a bad direction, relatively speaking, so on and so forth. So you really have to take this, 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 uh, these things with um, a grain of salt and let, let them rule over and determine and start to dictate what, um, what it means to be a sadhaka. Um, and, and what the sad, sadhya is as well. Um, Prabhupada considered himself a very liberal a person. He was, he was surprised to hear people say he was conservative. By modern perspective, he might have been a conservative, but his own position coming out of Calcutta, he was a flaming uh, liberal. Even his own godbrothers thought, this guy's like, a, you know, uh, he's got women dancing in the temple, you know, <laughs> with, the, with the boys and girls dancing together in the temple. Um, so <laughs> anyway I just uh, I don't know if I would necessarily tie it to that uh, um, but um, um, there, there is as much as Barabhagi means to have a uh, it, it, the, what, what Bhakti Vinod speaks about there Barabhagi he, he gives an example of um, I think a, maybe a, a mule that's carrying a heavy burden hmm? Uh, to get grass without realizing the grass is free on the side of the road. You don't have to carry that heavy burden. So to carry a heavy burden of um, of dogma, if you will, that uh, uh, gets in the way of uh, of progress and uh, uh, the taste that comes from just embracing essential practices, something like that. But you can look up the term Jaiva Dharma or uh, Chaitanya Shikshamrita and find a little more about it there. So, hope that helps. There's a follow-up question from Krishna Kanaya in regards to the Goswami family name topic. She says, is there a turning point when the divine Varnashram system, quote unquote, became the modern caste system, or was it a gradual degenerative process over time? It was there before the British, right? Thank you. Yeah, I would say that you know there, there's a certain concept of the Varnashram that's given in the Bhagavatam that is um, that the uh, the caste system. Uh, is in conflict with, um, so it, it would seem that it was a gradual uh, um, erosion of uh, an underst- proper understanding of what's given in the Bhagavatam. So, you know, you can find example that there were persons in Bhaktisiddhanta's time, Bhaktivinoda's time, that felt that, that being a Brahmin was superior to being a Vaishnav where the Bhagavatam teaches just the opposite, hmm? that where, where does Varnashram fall in relation to, um, to Bhakti? So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it happened all at once. So it happened gradually. Um, and, um, um, of course, Bhakti Vinodhaka was there during the time of the British, you know, that's towards the end. I think the British ruled over India for 200 years. So I'm not familiar with that whole, um, uh, history, but the, the Varnashram system has gradually, gradually, gradually become watered down and um, and um, 
replaced really with the modern uh, social religious sensibilities, largely, you know, even in India or in India. So gradual. What else? Anything else? Well, I guess we're out of time. Uh, just a quick question from um, Shraddha from Canada. She says, after rereading your Bhavanuvad on Tattva Sandarbha, I was looking for any more of your commentaries on the other Sandarbhas or any similar articles. Uh, yeah, I haven't written on the other Sandarbhas. Um, but uh, some of the I've, what I've I've taken from them and uh, drawn upon them, I should say, in other books that I've written with reference to them. Um, have you read Sacred Preface? Um, that might be a good one. Yes, okay, you can read it again. Uh, so I haven't written separately uh, on Sundarvas. If I do, well, maybe you'll be the first uh, that I inform about that. Appreciate the interest. Thank you for the question. So we're out of time with that. Nice. There's one, one more question from uh, Gayatri, but let's leave that for next week. Okay, we'll do. Go Premanandi, Haribol. <laughs>